Welcome to the More to the Story podcast. I am so glad that you have come along. I'm coming to you from Wesley Biblical Seminary, where we are training trusted leaders for faithful churches. And we do that in many ways through degree programs, doctorate of ministries, a host of master's degrees, an undergraduate program, and actually our undergraduate program, as it's getting going, there's an interesting thing that we're doing. We have a subscription model. So for $300 a month, you can enroll in our undergraduate program. Secondly, we have the Wesley Institute that's starting, which is a nine-month program that takes you through every book of the Bible and is taught by a seminary professor in a two-hour session, and it happens every week starting in September. So you can check that out. There's a link to that in the show notes here. Also, my thanks to Keith Waters and WPO Development. They do mission planning studies and feasibility studies and capital campaigns all around the country. They've been incredibly successful with more than 200 organizations who they've successfully served, and they do this in a beautiful way. And I can testify to the way that Keith and his team are able to come alongside people and help them realize their vision and realize how a community can support the work they're doing. So today, you might have found my title interesting, and it, and I chose this in part because it's connected to some of the things that have been happening on my podcast lately. I've had often, like when I talk about some of the concerns involving the sexual revolution, it seems to heighten the attention, and I don't always address those things, but my my appreciation to those of you who engage me on these very various topics, and it means a lot to me for folks who are able to share links to write a review on Apple iTunes, um, to, to talk with me when you disagree with me. That means a lot to me. And I want to highlight Pizza Hut, American Girl Dolls, and X9. Now, that might seem like a funny way to start, but I'm going to do that first by highlighting a, a recent meme phenomenon. Now, this is something, and those of you who are able to check this out, you'll find this interesting as we as we look at this. Um, we come, I come at this in a different way. Now, you have to be on YouTube plot probably to see this. I'm going to try and describe it, but I don't know if you've seen this meme phenomenon. Now, I don't think that every meme that really takes off has uh, significance, but I think this one scratches an itch. For instance, my daughter has a, a host, like three American Girl dolls, and she has one from a certain period, one that's called a street chick. And uh, even on the tag, it said when we when we got it, street chick, but not homeless. Like they describes every scenario. So people have taken this idea and have expanded on it. So they say, for instance, like this one that's pictured here, we need an American Girl doll who's a corporate girly and has a LaCroix fully stocked at her desk. We need an American Girl doll who shops at Trader Joe's. And you can then see that you know, she's there and dressed just like you would be if you went in Trader Joe's. And then we need an American Girl doll who goes on hot walks in her Lululemon belt, and ba belt bag and hydrates with LaCroix. Of course, then we need an American Girl doll who cried when Nick Jonas was diagnosed with diabetes. We need an American Girl doll who was in the room when the fly landed on Mike Pence's head. We need an American Girl doll who's responsible for blocking the Suez Canal. <laughs> I think there's something to all this. Now, I'm not suggesting, again, that all memes are like this, but I think this is doing something unique. What is it that it's highlighting? I think that this phenomenon is trying to say that what we do, like what happens in our life is important. And we want what we experience to be remembered. So if there was a, an American girl doll that paralleled uh, me as an American boy, it would probably be 
uh, girl that had a WWJD bracelet and listened to silly songs with Larry and um, was waiting for a guy with baggy jeans who was really into DC talk. I mean, or something like that. Like I was always ready in case you were wondering to sing and rap for my future wife kind of girl from DC talk. I and mean, that was just part, part of my Christian experience in the United States growing up. But, but, but what am I trying to highlight with that? Like I, I'm even saying like what I experienced is significant. Like those of us who lived through 9-11 and, and those events, those of us who have now obviously been through COVID-19, this is a part of history. We want to look back and say what happened in history was important. What we experienced, what we did mattered. I think that that's in part what's behind that meme. And often when we look at what happened to Paul or Saul, on the road to Damascus, we might look at this guy who was doing all sorts of terrible things to Christians and think, man, he was just crazy. He, he, he was almost insane or something. But I think there's something more to what's going on with Saul, Paul. I mean, he was trying to say, my days are significant. The things that I'm doing matter. Like I'm committed to this idea. I am committed to the idea of, of like the narrative of who the people of Israel are supposed to be. And this Christian group is getting in the way. Hence, we see him at the end of Stephen's stoning being the one who is collecting coats and approving of his murder. But then if you just look in chapter eight, we see the way that Paul or Saul is engaged in this situation. It says in verse Three, Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to pre prison. And then in verse one and two of chapter nine, which is what probably what we're most familiar with. I mean, just listen to the language that the NIV says he was breathing out murderous threats against the disciples of the Lord. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to his synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them down to Jerusalem. You hear that like kind of the emotionally drenched nature of this language? I mean, I feel like it needs to be played with like heavy metal music in the background. I mean, this is a guy who's dragging people out, breathing out murderous threats. It's like his entire being is focused on this. And if you think about what he was thinking about, I, I, I know we can't get there completely, but likely he was trying to say, my time is going to be significant. He uses his political power going to the high priest to make sure that the high priest is able to see this is a problem and Paul's going to be one to do it. We know he was educated amongst other Pharisees better and more, more so than other Pharisees. Like So he uses his knowledge, he uses education, his political influence to make his time significant. And it's at this point that we see the pivot come in Saul or Paul's life. You know, sometimes we think that uh, Saul had a dramatic moment where his name changes, like, because we have Abraham and all sorts of other people whose name changes, like, or we think of Peter's name changing um, from Simon to Peter. But we don't have that necessarily in Paul, Saul. He probably just used a different form of his name to be able to get into different communities. There's like a, a missiological reason that he often went by Paul. But nevertheless, like he has this dramatic moment that happens in his life when he is called out, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? 
comes from the Lord. Now, I want to share some other pictures as well. While I'm in the middle of really using YouTube as much as I can, here is another, another screen that's going to come up. And this highlights uh, something that maybe I have become a little obsessed with. Now, I didn't realize this. You can see in the screen, there is a picture, picture of a classic Pizza Hut. Now, I grew up, and probably for the first, not just growing up, for the first 40 years of my life, I had pizza every Sunday night. Now, recently, I have gone more basically gluten-free, gluten and dairy-free, and I haven't had pizza as much lately. Nevertheless, like I have enjoyed um, the process of traveling the country and being reminded of my childhood. If you see this picture of a pizza hut, maybe it brings back some memories to you. You can even look on this screen and you can see that there's even a shape to the windows, the red roof, this kind of really distinct font. And then even inside the restaurant, I'm gonna show that I'm a little obsessed here. That seems a little crazy. You would know that on either side of the kitchen, there was probably an arcade game, maybe even the same games. Then if you came into the middle of the restaurant, you would have a salad bar and the salad bar would have everything placed in the exact same place, restaurant to restaurant. And then you would have those red striped plastic table coverings, those red plastic cups are nice and big. And if you got a soda, it would come out in a pitcher and they bring them out for you. And, and then for those in my generation with no Pizza Hut particularly as well, because of something that they did, something called the Book It program. Those of you who might know what that was, if you read so many books you're, and you did a little report, your teacher would give you a Book It certificate and you would get, what would you get? A free personal pan pizza. What a great, generous thing for the people of Pizza Hut to do. Now, I obviously like Pizza Hut and I, I've enjoyed pizza in my life, but I have found it interesting to see repurposed Pizza Huts around the country. Now, I didn't know that I was obsessed with this till about two weeks ago when my family and I were driving across Alabama and we were in Selma, Alabama. And we, I looked across the street and there was a Pizza Hut building that was now functioning as a sushi place. Now, why was this interesting? I said, said to my family, look, that, I said, I pointed over across the street and I said, that has to be an old Pizza Hut. And then my wife, after two decades of being married to me, said, yeah, you pretty much say that every time you see an old Pizza Hut. She, I, she said it in a very nice way, but she said too, in you know, kind of the, that little way, yeah, you seem to be obsessed here. And I had to admit, yep, I am. So to further the point of my obsession, let me show you a few of these other Pizza Huts around the country. So for instance, you can see um, we have a, a Pizza Hut that might come in. Uh, here's a Liberty Income Tax Pizza Hut. Now, this, if you're looking on YouTube, watching on YouTube, you can see that it has a Pizza Hut windows and you can see that people are going in and doing their taxes, but they are not just doing their taxes. They are doing their taxes in an old Pizza Hut. It might even have one of the old chandeliers that had kind of a, I call it the Pizza Hut stained glass window type of chandelier or light fixture that would come down. Okay, to me, there's no getting around the fact that has to be a Pizza Hut. Then let's see some other examples. Now, this is, a Denny's. Now, if you look close in this picture, they've done everything that they can to hide the fact that this was clearly a pizza, but it has a red roof and it has that column that comes right up in the middle of the roof. And it says Denny's American diner, America's diner. But there is no hiding the fact that that is not America's diner. They were serving pepperoni lovers long before they were serving bacon and eggs. So there, there's one. 
Here's one that was turned into a Five Guys, a pizza. Now, Five Guys didn't even try to hide that much. They just kept this, it had the same colors. It seemed to fit in well, but there's no doubt that instead of having those peanuts and hamburgers that are nice and greasy, it used to serve greasy cheese from Pizza Hut. Here's one that's trying to hide it, Subway. Subway, a Pizza Hut turned into a Subway. No doubt about it. They tried to accentuate the roof in such a way so that it would be distinguished, but you can't fool me. I know that was a Pizza Hut. Then you'll even find some that are in insurance office. There's an insurance office in an old Pizza Hut. Again, this one has a beautiful view and you might be in there working on, on your car insurance or your home plan, but I'm telling you that is a Pizza Hut. And then finally, one that's close to me here, the Asian Kitchen. It ha even has added a drive-through that, uh, but it says Asian Kitchen, liquor and wine. Now I have heard, I haven't seen these ones myself, some of these, there are even Pizza Huts that are funeral homes. Now to me, if you're sitting down and you're doing your taxes in an old Pizza Hut, what you're doing there, for me, you're not just at a Pizza Hut. You, oh, you're not just at a, uh, you're not just doing your taxes. You're doing your taxes in a Pizza Hut. There's a wider context to what's going on. And here's what I want to suggest. Is that what is happening for Paul on the road to Damascus, where he's trying to find significance for his life. What's happening there is connected to something else. What's happening for Paul is connected to something else. Like, just like when you're sitting in a pizza hut that's a, a, a former pizza hut that now is a sushi place, you're really in a pizza hut in my book. If you were to do an archaeological dig, I'm sure you'd find some bucket certificates and some nice red plastic and some remnants of a pizza hut there. What's going on? in this scene is different than even Paul understands. He thinks, after all, he is persecuting this movement that has risen up to take over the church. And even if we just think about it in light of what is happening in Paul's life, when he realizes that this is Jesus, when he has this conversion moment, even that is more, it's about more than just him. As I, the name of my podcast, there's more to that story. And Paul has to realize here that even as he confronts Jesus, that his journey is not his own. He has to own that his journey is not his own. And that's the exact same thing that happens with Ananias later in this verse as well. I love the way Ananias responds to Jesus. In verse 10 of chapter 9, it says, Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. I love how Ananias responds. Like all the Lord has to say, all Jesus has to say to him is his name. And then he responds like the prophet Isaiah or like Samuel. Here I am. Your servant's listening. I'm ready to do what you're asking. But what's interesting about this call to Ananias is it's not about him. Like he realizes like, okay, what, what are you going to call me to do? What's the task in front of me? Like, how is my time going to be significant? And then he tells him that he's going to interact with Saul. And, you know, Ananias reminds the Lord, just in case he didn't know, that this guy was one who was trying to kill Christians. But nevertheless, he responds. And what Ananias does is he owns the fact that his journey is not his own. And we have to own that our journeys are not our own. Jesus's call is Jesus's. 
It's not ours. Jesus's call in your life and what he's asking you to do might not be about you. Now, the great thing is you get included in it. But Jesus's call is Jesus's. And that's exactly what happens to Saul as well. Paul, Saul, Paul, when he's confronted with this, he says, why do you persecute me? Now, he could have responded by saying, look, I'm not persecuting you. I'm persecuting an idea. Notice this interesting thing that uh, I, I just caught this as it's translated a little differently than I had seen other places in the ESV. It says, Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. Although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. Now, remember what happens in this story. It's so easy to jump over the fact that Saul, Paul, for three days was blinded. It took him three days before he got to be with Ananias. So when he is in this situation, his eyes are actually opened after his encounter, after he hears Jesus's call, but he was not yet aware of what all this meant. It was incomplete. What he was doing wasn't necessarily about his healing just in that moment. And so when these two people come together, what happens is that Ananias verifies Paul's vision. Ananias then cooperates with God in the healing of Paul. Ananias baptizes him. And Ananias doesn't get in the way of what God is wanting to do in his life. I think also it's interesting to note that when we engage Jesus, when Jesus comes to us and he calls us, we're not confronted with an idea or a, a metaphysical proposition. Instead, we're confronted with a person that God who exists as three persons, undivided in essence and co-equal in power, power and glory, comes to us in a personal way. We don't just come like kind of as like selfish selves. No, it's like we are invited in to the eternal personhood of God in a beautiful way. And that's exactly what happens here. And then he says something even more wild. Is that, and I still don't get this. I can't understand this ontologically, how it all works. But somehow when Paul was persecuting Christians, he was persecuting Jesus. That, and I think Paul likely works through the rest of his life what those words mean. When he says, we are the body of Christ. We think of even Matthew's words that when you've done it to one of the least of these, you've done it unto me. I don't understand that. I believe it, but I don't understand it. But there's something mystical about the reality that, that Jesus that is, has said that we are, or Paul says, we are the body of Christ. And that when we've done something, when we do something against Christians, we're doing it to Jesus. And that's what Paul is told here on the road to Damascus. There's a, uh, I Googled just the, the top summer song and I found the Apple list. I don't know if it's by the time this podcast comes out, if it'll still be the number one song. And I was surprised. I didn't know the song at all, but I saw it use the word God. So it's, it's called, it's called this. It's a uh, running up that hill, a deal with God. And I am clearly demonstrating the fact that I am a 42 year old homeschool dad, seminary professor, right? I, I am not up on popular culture. I have a podcast, but that's about as, as good as I get here. Um, so apparently this song has really made it because it's a part of the Stranger Things TV show. I haven't ever seen Stranger Things. Judge me as you will. 
And I know I probably should for the sake of connecting with students or something, but I don't know. I don't know what stranger about stranger things, but there it is. But I guess it's at a climactic point where there's a self-sacrificing moment, moment. And then this song from the 1980s, it was written by a woman named Kate Bush. And when you listen to it, I'm like, I couldn't believe that this is the number one song because it sounds so much like from the 1980s. And I'm clearly a 1990s child and that's also old. But the words are interesting to me. I don't know, again, like if the reason this is popular is in part because of the message of the song. But it says this, if I only could, I'd make a deal with God and I'd get him to swap our places. I'd be running up that road, be running up that hill. And those of you who know this song, I'm sorry, I just put it in your head. But the essence of the song, like what I think it's trying to get at is the longing we all have for self-sacrifice. We are looking for someone, something to enter into our story who will swap places. And we'll make a deal with God, right? We want this. We're longing for this. And notice how it says, I'd be running up that hill, be running up that hill. I think that's what, if we're all looking for that, and I've recently been reading E. Stanley Jones in his book, Word Made Flesh, and he talks about how the cross is in everything, how the cross is in our molecular structure, that it's in the animal kingdom. He even makes this interesting point that I found recently that um, the reason that at least he was writing this in like the 40s. The reason lions and tigers are on their way towards extinction in those days is because they don't have the self-sacrificing principle that cats have. And E. Stanley Jones is a big fan of cats. And he says the same things about wolves and dogs. The reason dogs are making it is because they're servants. Uh, I'm not sure I completely follow everything he's saying there. Nevertheless, he's trying to say that self-sacrifice is something that we're all looking for. Looking for, And so in movies, in culture, we see this emphasis of self-sacrifice coming through. Like we want that. We want that ourselves. We want to experience it. And that's what we see happening on the road to Damascus is that Jesus steps forward. And notice too, I, I like the connection. I don't know if it perfectly works out. He said, I'd be running up that hill. Jesus ran up the hill of Calvary. I'd be running on that road. Jesus ran on that road of Damascus to get to Paul and to bring him to a place where he could see the self-sacrifice that he offers. Like, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? If you want to be significant, you need to give up your life. If you want to find your purpose, you have to own that your journey is not your own, that Jesus's call is about Jesus and not about us, not about us trying to find our ways. And this is what, what I think the kind of the connection is to Pizza Hut, is that what Paul was doing, what Ananias was doing was realizing that their story was not about them. And that's what I suggest is kind of the connection to Pizza Hut. So if you're ever eating in an old Pizza Hut, if you're eating at a five guys, that's really pizza. You're really in a bigger story. And that's what Paul realized that day is he was in a bigger story. And when we realize this, when we realize that, and when we give ourselves up, that we are part of a bigger plan, that Jesus's call is Jesus's and that we own that our journey is not our own. We might see that what God's asking us to do is not about us. What Jesus might be asking you today to do might not be about you. And it's when we do this that we find true and ultimate fulfillment. My kitchen table, uh, our kitchen table at our house here, 
in Mississippi, uh, we have the very last line of mere Christianity on our wall. So we, we see it. Actually, it's right behind where I sit all the time. And I think that this hints at this same idea. I'm going to pull out my old version here, mere Christianity. And just in the very last page, it says this. Look for yourself and you will find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. And that's, I think, what Paul was experiencing. What did he have? He had rage, raging out, breathing out murderous threats. We look for ourselves. If we look for life to fulfill, if we are filming in ourselves, it will only lead to hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, and ruin and decay. But then, um, uh, I almost said E. Stanley Jones, um, C.S. Lewis ends the book with this sentence. But look for Christ and you will find him. And with him, everything else thrown in. But look for Christ and you will find him. And with him, everything else thrown in. Own that your journey is not your own. But when you find that journey with him, you'll find everything else thrown in. And when you realize that Jesus's call is about Jesus, not about the stories that we're trying to create for ourselves, we end up seeing the discovered meaning we find in Christ is far more significant from the way we invent and try to craft our own meaning and our own truth. Instead, we commit to his truth and who he's calling us to be. That's the more to the story podcast today. Thanks for checking this out. We're going to have some more interviews coming along here soon. If you're interested in some of the other things that we offer, you can go to my website, andymillerthird.com. That's andymillerii.com. Um, I have my Jude course that's there and really thankful for people who are accessing that. If you're interested in that, it's a six-week course that's available for folks uh, for small groups, Sunday school classes. Uh, there's even some boards that are using it as a way to like have their own Bible study. Um, people use it with their families. So I'd love to make that available for you. If you're interested, you can check that out at my website. Thanks so much for checking this out. God bless you. Bye.